Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, you are listening live to Branding World on this Sunday, May 8th, 2022. It is so good to be back here with you recording the Brandon's World Podcast. Now, folks, I know you're probably wondering, Brandon, where the hell have you been? You have not uploaded since previewing the most stupendous WrestleMania in history. And you would be correct. Folks, I heard to tell you great news in my professional career. I have earned my first part-time, full 25-hour-a-week position. Therefore, because of that, my schedule has been messed up. I have not been able to record a podcast in a month, even though I desperately wanted to break down the most stupendous WrestleMania in history. I wanted to break down the first round of the NBA playoffs, as well as a stupendous NFL draft. Unfortunately, again, due to my work schedule, that was not able to happen. But now I've been sitting. I've been waiting. I've been contemplating a month. And I am excited to announce today, Brandon's World is back, people. And it will be with you right here on the Brandon's World podcast. Wherever you listen, whether that would be Anchor, Google Play, Spotify, iTunes, or on YouTube where our clips will be. This podcast will be uploaded to not only the audio version, but the video version. Every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, we will be going over all the big happenings in sports, as well as we may have a few guests that join us within the podcast along the way. This format, is going to continue at least for the entire month of May, the entire month of June, the entire month of July. And then we will see when we get to August what's going on in the sports world as we get prepped for the NFL season. As you guys know, it was last fall. We came back after a four-month hiatus after I left Black Squirrel Radio. We started doing kind of 30-minute podcasts twice a week sometimes three days a week, mostly containing the NFL. Then we took a month break. After the Super Bowl, we came back. I started talking NBA, college basketball, March Madness, a lot of wrestling during the WrestleMania season. Had a ton of guests, like my man Joey Schneider, the co-host of the All Things Cleveland Cavaliers podcast, with me on Believe Land Media. My other Believe Land Media co-workers, Brandon Larador, Josh Unger, my former Black Score Radio colleague, Sean Fitzgerald. We had a ton of guests. We were talking baseball to Sean Watson, Aaron Rodgers, Tyreek Hill, Devontae Adams. It was a lot of fun. And then, like I said, this job, it ended up coming out of nowhere. Uh, it was unexpected, and I am fulfilling and happy in that job. And so this podcast kind of ended me on hold for a little bit. But nonetheless, we are back. And as always, make sure to follow me on Twitter 
at real underscore being world. You can follow the show. Also follow me personally at Brandon Lewis underscore seven. And without further ado, folks, the fire takes are about to get started because we have to talk about the NFL draft because this draft going into it a lot of people obviously did not think this was going to be one of the best drafts because it wasn't a very well first quarterback draft however with all the trade movement and everything that happened and you can tell what specific teams were going after this year's draft I had a ball watching it all three days I've already watched the entire first five rounds Sits and zone round, not so much, but at least, you know, the first four or five rounds, I was really into the draft this year. I thought it was a lot of fun. And to me, there were clear winners and losers with this year's NFL draft. So I'm not going to spend time on, obviously, every first round pick. Not, not going to have time to do that. But I do want to talk about the draft. And then not only that, but the implications coming from the draft and who got better and who got worse over the course of, of course, the draft and also free agency. So, the teams that I thought had the best drafts this year were as follows. You got the Jets, the Kansas City Chiefs, the Baltimore Ravens, the Detroit Lions, and my Philadelphia Eagles. Now, taking this by a case-by-case -case basis, here's the New York Jets, who were the number four pick and are thinking Sauce Gardner, the defensive back out of Cincinnati. Now, at number three overall, the Houston Texans went ahead and took the defensive back Derek Stingley Jr. out of LSU. Jets got a corner. Now, I did not do a full mock draft this year. Did not have time, again, with the new job and stuff. Did not have time to do a full mock draft. But I've seen a lot of mock drafts saying the Jets could have taken an, an offensive tackle, and I would have not argued with that. There are certainly reports that they could move on from Mackay Becton. But I thought getting Sauce Gardner for their defense was huge, considering that the Robert Sell a lot runs a lot of press man coverage. Then at number 10, there were reports they could have went out and got Devo Samuel, who of course has made himself available. He does not want to be in San Francisco anymore. Instead, the Jets went out and they got, in my opinion, the second best wide receiver. I would have taken Jamison Williams out of Alabama, which the Lions, who again I'll get to in a second, went up and traded for. But in my opinion, Garrett Wilson, the second best wide receiver in this year's draft, I think he could be a number one right away. It's certainly, you know, not as rare as it has been over the last couple of seasons. We've seen Jamar Chase. We've seen Justin Jefferson. We've seen A.J. Brown. You know, we've seen these receivers kind of come into the league and light it up right away. I wouldn't be surprised if Garrett Wilson does that for the Jets. They also got the Tremaine Johnson, a defensive lineman, so they added more to their pass work. They got the tight end out of, out of Ohio State, which some people thought was the best tight end in the draft in the second round. So to go along with Elijah Moore, to go along with Corey Davis, they also got the running back, Brees Hall. Um, I, I believe he, he was out of Iowa State in the second round, who I think is the best running back in the draft. So the Jets... They really focused on offensive talent and aiding to Zach Wilson. And now moving on to Kansas City. They ended up replacing Tyreek Hill essentially with Sky Moore. They traded up with the New England Patriots. They got the corner McDuffie out of Washington. Kansas City really focused 
this round on getting defensive backs and improving their secondary, which was their huge weakness. We just saw Tyron Matthew lead for the Saints. I thought the Chiefs addressed a lot of needs in this round. The Baltimore Ravens. Now they walked out because Kyle Hamilton fell to them at number 14 overall. I thought that was a great pick. That was a Raven-like player that they needed. They took in Javo, the defensive lineman out of Michigan, who, if he worked out after a torn ACL, sounds like he's not going to play during the 2022 season. But if he works out, that's going to be a great pick for them. They ended up picking Linderbaum, the best center in the draft, uh, out of Iowa after they traded away Hollywood Brown to the Arizona Cardinals. And they got a first-round draft pick back for him. So with all of these moves, they also picked up an additional couple tight ends. The one thing I did not think Baltimore did was a dress-wide receiver, but they are doubling down on Lamar Jackson's skill set, which is running the football, playing good defense, and throwing the football to tight ends. It is very much Raven-like football, and the Ravens were 8-3 last year. And as much as we talk about Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert, and Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson and these unreal quarterbacks in the NFL. The regular season, the Philadelphia Eagles led the league in rushing last year. They made the playoffs. Tennessee was the number one seed in the AFC because they ran the football. Obviously, they didn't have A.J. Brown or Julio Jones or Derrick Henry for a lot of the season, and they still won 12 games. We'll get to Tennessee, obviously, here in a minute because they made a big splash selecting Malik Willis. Uh, so I do think that running the football, you can still win regular season games with that. Again, I don't know how much effect it will have on the postseason, but I thought Baltimore doubled down. They improved their secondary a lot, which they absolutely needed to do. It felt like every player that they wanted, they got the corner out of Alabama. It felt like every player they wanted fell to them, and it felt like Baltimore just did a very productive draft getting a Winderbaum in the center, which they needed the offensive line help against Iowa Hamilton. These guys are going to be absolute studs for them. Next up, the Detroit Lions, who completely lucked out with the Jacksonville Jaguars, did not take Aiden Hutchinson number one overall. I thought personally he should have been the number one pick and go to Jacksonville. Yet Aiden Hutchinson is from Michigan. He's a Detroit boy. You know Dan Campbell and the Detroit Lions are going to love to have him. I thought that was a great pick. And then they traded up in their division. They went from the last pick in the first round, number 32. They gave that to the Minnesota Vikings. Obviously, they, they earned that pick in the uh, Jared Goff, Matthew Stafford trade from a year ago. But they moved up 20 spots, and they got Jared Goff, a receiver, in Jamison Williams. So I know he had the ACL injury at Alabama, but as I said a little bit earlier with the Jets pick, I think this guy is a freak of nature. I think he can do it all. And if he's healthy, I think he's going to come in day one and light this league up and be a number one wide receiver. And listen, Jared Goff played well at home last year. We don't know how well he's going to play outside of a dome, outside of Detroit. Obviously, they get Minnesota, which is in a dome, so that is beneficial. But I thought the Lions now, with T.J. Hoggins and Amon St. Brown, Jamison Williams, now, DeAndre Swift, Aiden Hutchinson, they added pieces all over the field. And the way that this team lost a bunch of close games last year, 
You don't think that's going to happen again, and I'm here to say it. I think the Detroit Lions are on the rise. And the final team that I had as one of my best drafts this year was my Philadelphia Eagles. I have been very critical of general manager Ali Roseman's draft decisions over the years. He drafted a fireman, Danny Watkins, at 26 years old, who was out of the league in the first round. He's drafted Kevin Cobb, who was supposed to be Donovan McNabb's replacement, did not work out. He's drafted Marcus Smith, a first-round defensive end that was out of the league in three years. Drafted Jalen Rager. Drafted J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. We know those receivers have not worked out. Drafted Sidney Jones, the defensive back who, who tore his Achilles from Washington. He was going to be a top-ten pick. Did not work out of the Philadelphia Eagles uniform. But folks, I got to tell you something. Howie Roseman, unlike Dallas, who is typically a good drafting team, I thought Dallas had one of their worst drafts in years. I thought the Eagles had the best draft in my lifetime. Jordan Davis, defensive tackle out of Georgia. Howie Roseman moves up one spot ahead of Baltimore because all signs were pointing the Ravens were going to take him. Howie Roseman wanted Jordan Davis out of Georgia, a big man. Big man that will clog the middle of the defense, and he will learn from one of the best defensive tackles in the game in Fletcher Cox. Then he goes out on that same night, and like I just said, after the Lions traded for Jameson Williams, my heart sank because that was the guy who at number 15, and the Eagles would have stayed at 15. I wanted to take, and I thought he would be there at 15. But obviously, when the runner receivers happened with Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, Jamison Williams, that was no longer going to be the case. So, Howie Roseman goes out, and he gives up our first round pick, our second first round pick, which we had for that night, as well as a third round pick, and went out and got A.J. Brown, a man who was never thrown the ball legitimately in Tennessee, even though, again, they had great receivers to go along with Derrick Henry, but when you have Derrick Henry, you have to run the football. And this man and Jalen Hurts are best friends, and they are going to have a real connection, and it's going to open up the field for Devontae Smith, who went out facing the number two best corner instead of the number one best corner. It will open up the field for Dallas Goddard and the tight end game. It will do wonders hopefully for Jalen Hurts, and will elevate this Eagles offense to the next level, which is in a running, 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 running. Hopefully it'll be more of like run, pass, pass, run. You know, a little bit more balanced, and really give Jalen Hurts that number one wide receiver that Joe Burrow got in Jamar Chase, that Kirk Cousins got Justin Jefferson, that Kyler Murray got in DeAndre Hopkins. You have to go out and you have to acquire these receivers, I don't blame Ali Rosen one bit. I thought it was a great pick. Then he went out and got our future center in Camp Ernest, who reminds me a lot of Jason Kelsey in pick 51. Now, when that pick was initially announced, I was upset because I wanted to go with Nicobe Dean, the linebacker out of Georgia, and it was reported that he was falling because of injuries and starts because he had a torn pack and he did not want to get served. And I am here to say, I did not give a rip. I would have taken him in the second round. I thought he was the best linebacker in the draft. Not only that, but I thought he was the best defensive player on the national champion Georgia Bulldogs last season. Howie Roseman 
This man stole the Kobe Dean in the third round of the NFL draft. This man is not injured. This man is going to participate in training camp once he trains here next week. And this man is going to be the first legitimate linebacker my Philadelphia Eagles have had in years. And I mean years. Every other NFL team is going to regret passing on to Kobe Dean, who was without a doubt in my mind the steal of the draft, and the man that Owie Roseman finally drafted, a linebacker. Folks, for years, it's been the Eagles were the ones that were last out. How many times did I mentioned Cindy Jones, is there a take a white side, Jalen Rager, passing on these great talents, and the Eagles have forgone linebacker, they've gone with off the street linebackers for years. This was the biggest glaring hole on our defense outside of secondary, which is the one spot we did not address. But again, as always, you can address positions post-draft. This isn't like it's the final roster at all. More moves are going to be made. But I got to give credit to Howie Roseman, man. Not only the Kobe Dean, but then in the sixth round, getting that eight Sarah, the tight end out of, out of a UAB who was at Oklahoma. He transferred because he had way too many concussions. He was going to be a second-round pick if it wasn't for his injury. So that adding more weapons to Taylor Ernst's arsenal, I did not mind giving up the amount of draft picks he did. This is a go-for-it-now division, but still the weak Washington football team. In my opinion, the Washington Commanders, whatever you want to call it, with Carson Wentz at quarterback. The Giants have a nice grab within the trenches, but no one's really scared of Daniel Jones. And then Dallas, who I thought next to New England, which don't get me started on New England. They took two running backs. They took a receiver, which was supposed to go in the fifth round and the second round. They took a guard, who was supposed to go in the fourth round, Cole Train. In the first round on a Chad Nuga, Sean McVay and the Rams thought he'd be there late in the third round going into the fourth round. Bill Belichick took him at 29. Nobody understood really what New England was doing. Uh, and then Dallas, obviously, again, taking the tackle, you, you know, um, that had some, some issues with bullying and, um, you know, brawling and fighting. And then... You know, just not having a good draft. Even the defensive end that I just mentioned, it was just, it was not a good draft for the Dallas Cowboys. In my opinion, they took a lot of risk. And so, when I look at the worst drafts, I see New England and Dallas, and obviously the best drafts, I got the Chiefs, Jets, Ravens, Eagles, Lions. So this is how then, this is how, after all the draft went down, I went down, and I broke down the NFL standings, and I broke down the playoff picture. Now, obviously, this is going to change. Next week, the NFL schedule will release it, and we are going to be doing a full reaction of that next Sunday here on the Brands World Podcast. But for right now, this is how I will rank each division in the NFL. Starting with the AFC East, I think we all kind of know the Buffalo Bills are at the top of that division. Now, number two, I would put Miami with the addition of Tyree Kill over New England. So I would have Miami second, Patriots third, Jets fourth. But like I just got done saying, if Sauce Gardner, if Gary Wilson, you know, Tremaine Johnson, if these guys for the Jets can play and Zach Wilson takes a step forward, I think the Jets could be better than New England this year because 
New England may have gotten Devontae Parker, sure, but they lost J.C. Jackson. They lost Shaq Mason. They lost Ted Karras. They lost a lot of talent, and it feels like kind of a reset year for the New England Patriots. Now, moving on to the AFC West. This was the toughest division to predict. I do believe that all four of these teams could make the playoffs at the end of the day. But I believe still that the Las Vegas Raiders to me right now are the team to beat in this division. You had Darren Waller. You had Devontae Adams. To a team with Derek Carr. To a team with Josh Jacobs. With Hunter Renfro. With Max Crosby. With Chandler Jones in that defensive line. That is a L of a football team and a L of a one-two punch offensively. I think a little bit better than Kansas City. You obviously got the addition of Sky Moore. I think he's not going to be Tyreek Hill, but if he's damn pretty good close, it's going to open up the lanes again for Miko Hardman, for Juju Smith-Schuster, for Travis Kelsey. They're not going to be as explosive as they were with Tyreek Hill, but who knows? I don't think they're going to take too much of a step back. In the AFC West, then in third, I would place the Chargers. Just do not trust Brandon Staley that much as a coach, but they do got a lot of talent. Adding Khalil Mack and J.C. Jackson on the defensive end. Adding the guard out of Boston College in the first round of the draft. They still got a San Diego Jr. They still got the two great receivers, Mike Williams, Keenan Allen, of course the great running back, Austin Eckler, and the QB, Justin Herbert. And in the AFC West, a lot of people think Denver is the team to beat in this division, and I don't. Listen, I don't think the receivers are that great. I don't think Jerry Judy is that special. I don't think Corwin Sutton is that special. I think they lost a really good tight end and Noah fan, and I think their offensive line is suspect. Their secondary, obviously, with Edgerton and Justin Simmons is great. Their defensive line with the addition of, uh, of uh, Randy Gregory. Um, you know, Bradley Chubb. I think that will help their defensive line, but I'm still not sold on Denver. In the AFC North, I have it going Cincinnati, Baltimore, Cleveland, Pittsburgh. I was torn on this because, as I just mentioned, Baltimore and Cleveland to me is a coin flip. Again, I think Cincinnati's in first, Pittsburgh is in fourth. Like, I think, again, I don't think Kenny Pickett is going to make that much of a difference for the Steelers. They don't have the greatest offensive weapons, in my opinion. But I think the Ravens and the Browns are ruining Jim Gates because I think the Browns, with Deshaun Watson, have overwhelmingly better talent than the Ravens. But as I just said, man, if you can run the ball in the regular season, Baltimore went 8-3 and three last year until Lamar Jackson got hurt the last six games of the year. I cannot get that out of my mind. I still think the Ravens are just a really good run football team, and we don't know if Deshaun Watson is going to get suspended or not. For that matter, I put the Ravens ahead of the Browns, and by the time we get to the season, if we know Watson's status, I will certainly put the Browns ahead of the Ravens. Now, in the AFC South, I got the Colts, Titans, Jags, and Texans. I think Tennessee, without a doubt, downgrades going from uh, A.J. Brown to that Burks kid out of Arkansas. Listen, the kid could be a great receiver. They've compared him to A.J. Brown, and I, but I don't understand it from Tennessee's perspective because of the fact that I believe if you have a wide receiver in the NFL, it doesn't matter what the money costs, 
wide receivers need to be more like quarterbacks these days. I know Devontae is making $30 million. I know Tyreek Hill is making $25. I know A.J. Brown is making $25. I know the cost. And I know that there's receivers coming out of the draft every single year. But if you don't have receivers in this league, I don't think you're, you're going anywhere. I don't think Tennessee is better than the Colts today, who I think upgraded a quarterback with Matt Ryan. There's been reports, obviously, in Tennessee that Malik Willis could take over here pretty shortly for Ryan Daniel, which I do believe will be the case. So I think Tennessee is sort of resetting themselves. I do think Jacksonville's an improved team. You know, I do love the Devin Lloyd pick in the first round, the linebacker to Utah. I thought he was their best pick. Again, I would have taken Aiden Hutchinson number one overall. That's neither here nor there. They did spend a lot of money in free agency on the offensive line and receivers like Christian Kirk and Evan Ingram to help Trevor Lawrence out, who I think with a grown-up in Doug Peterson will have a better year. I think that they will compete. I think that they will win six or seven games. I think that they are the third team in the division, though, and obviously Houston's in a total repo. They're going to find out if David Mills can play this year. They're in four. So when you look at the playoff picture, in my opinion, in the AFC, you've got Buffalo, Vegas, Cincinnati, and Indianapolis. Those are your division winners, and I think the Chiefs, Ravens, and Browns, if Deshaun Watson gets back, will be your seven playoff team. On the bubble, I kind of put the Chargers and the Broncos. Again, I think Denver's going to finish in fourth place, but they could certainly make the playoffs. These are teams I think are good, but I don't know if they're playoff teams. Those are Tennessee, Miami, New England, and Pittsburgh. And Prue will win games. We'll go with the Jags and the Jets. And obviously, Houston, we're not going to worry too much about Houston. From last year's playoffs, Essentially, the Colts will, will replace the Titans, and the Ravens and Browns replace the Steelers and the Patriots as your wild card team. Now, in the NFC, this is how I have it going, because the NFC is going to take a lot less explaining to do more than the AFC. Essentially, what I think happens is this. I think the Cowboys will miss the playoffs this year. I think the Vikings will replace the Cowboys. I think the Eagles wind up overtaking Dallas and winning the NFC East. So when you look at the NFC teams here, I have Philly, Rams, Green Bay, and Tampa winning their division. In second place, I have Dallas, San Francisco, Minnesota, and the Saints. Third, Washington, Arizona, who I think the DeAndre Hopkins suspension of six games will affect them. Detroit and Chicago. I don't like the Bears hiring a Matt Eberflus. I think you need to go with an offensive mind in today's National Football League. I don't know much if Justin Fields can play, and I think the Lions are, are on the rise. I think the Bears are going to be one of those surprise kind of bad teams this year, and I would put the Lions over the Bears. Now, in the NFCs, I already mentioned, I believe your playoff teams will be the Eagles, Rams, Packers, and Bucks. Your wildcard team will be the Niners, with or without Jimmy Garoppolo, Trey Lance, their quarterback, Arizona, and Minnesota. Again, the only change there, Minnesota replaces Dallas, and the Eagles go from a wildcard to a division winner. But the rest of those teams, obviously, M. Bay come back, we know they're going to make the playoffs. Rams come back, we know they're going to make the playoffs. San Francisco is still good enough to make the playoffs. Um, you know, I think Arizona is still good enough to make the playoffs. 
I think Green Bay, even with the wants of Devontae Adams, they went out, they got a couple good receivers, they got two good running backs. Um, I think Green Bay is still better than Minnesota a little bit. I know the Vikings made a lot of additions. They have a new head coach, the Rams offensive coordinator. But I got to see Minnesota to believe them. So I think that they are a playoff team. So that division could swap with Minnesota and Green Bay. Though, again, I do think both teams make the postseason. So overall, when you look at my Super Bowl bump, I would put the Bills, Bengals, Chiefs, Browns, Ravens, Rams, Bucks. Those are the teams who I believe could win the Super Bowl this season coming up. My playoff bump. These are teams who cannot win the Super Bowl, but I believe that they will make the playoffs. They are the Raiders, Colts, Packers, Niners, Cardinals, Vikings, Eagles. Just outside the playoffs, I believe Denver, Chargers, and Dallas. Playoff teams from last year that I think take a step back are the Patriots, Steelers, and Titans. I don't think they're going to be as good as they were last season. These are not playoff teams. They will be close to it or they will compete and win games. They are the Dolphins, Jaguars, Jets, Saints, Commanders, Lions, Bears. And teams that I don't think we really need to pay any attention to. I think they'll be in the bottom five of this league. Giants. Seahawks, Falcons, Panthers, Texans. In the case of most of those, obviously Seattle, Carolina, Houston. I think they're just going to be tanking, trying to look for a quarterback. You can even throw Atlanta in there as well. Giants, they'll be looking for a quarterback by Thanksgiving. Again, they fixed it up with the trenches, but Daniel Jones is not the answer at quarterback for them. So that is my full outlook. I'm kind of the NFL going into the season. I know that that was a long-winded take. However, we will be reviewing it again next week when we go over the NFL schedule. That it's time to talk some NBA because, as you see, if you're watching on YouTube behind me, the NBA playoffs are happening, and I got a lot of thoughts on the playoffs. Before I get to that. Let me break down the NBA playoff schedule because I believe the NBA should go back to the May to July NBA playoff format like it was last season. I keep saying it, man. The NBA needs to be year-round relevant. Well, like the NFL, the only dead month it feels like, and the NFL is June. If you go through the NFL calendar, January is the playoff. February is the Super Bowl. March is free agency. April is the draft. May is rookie minicamp. June is kind of your dead month, though, though there are a couple days where there's you know some mandatory camp. July is training camp. August is preseason. And then September through December, you are there for the season. The NBA could create a much better schedule that I think will keep them relevant year-round and keep them away from the NFL, at least in the middle of their season when the NFL is playing games. I think they should go back to the December 1st model, play to about May 1st. You have December through May as your season. You'd only have to compete with the NFL, you know, December and January, because again, out of the Super Bowl, people start talking basketball anyway. Instead of competing with them in October and November, and December and January, you not got two of those months, 
December through May is your regular season. Then May and July, and by the way, in June, not just half of June, where again, the NFL is pretty much dead for that period, but right after the draft, all the way up through training camp, then May through July, you can dominate the sports schedule. Kind of leave baseball and hockey more in the dust. Those are your NBA playoffs. In August, you do free agency. I think they need to switch it around, like the way the NFL does it. The NBA does the draft and then free agency. I would switch it around and do free agency and then the draft. I think it, it makes much more sense to spend your money and kind of figure out where you can fill holes in free agency first, and then whatever you don't need, you can address in the draft. As opposed to, well, if we do the draft, well, if we miss some holes, then we're not guaranteed to fix those holes in free agency where you kind of focus more on positions in the draft than if you would in free agency because now you're open. You know, let's say, for example, you want a small forward and there's Kawhi Leonard on the market. Well, you think you can get Kawhi Leonard so you don't draft a small forward. But then you don't sign Kawhi Leonard and then you're left with no small forward. It's why I think free agency needs to be before the draft. You could also do the draft lottery in August, though I, I believe they should get rid of the draft lottery. I've been saying it's been rigged for years. September, I think you would do the draft. October is kind of your dead month. And then November, you get into the training game and the preseason of the NBA. Maybe late October, so not really as much of a dead month. And you go in December 1st is the start of the NBA season. I think that pretty much makes the NBA year-round interesting. Again, January through July, you're either playing basketball or the playoffs. August, free agency, September draft, October, you kind of get into camp, November is your preseason games, boom, the NBA is fixed year-round. As opposed to October through June, they're kind of playing. July, they do free agency and the draft, and then August and September are kind of dead months, especially August, in, in, in the NBA. So I think if they kind of rework the schedule a little bit, they can compete with the NFL year-round. Wargate at the postseason. I gotta tell you folks, this is one of the most interesting NBA postseasons I can remember. And I said this, and if you have not listened to it, go back and listen to it on the All Things Cash podcast this week with Mike O'Host, Joey Snyder. Now we are talking a little bit more NBA plus in general now that the Cavs season has ended, of course. A couple years ago, if you would have told me that Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving would get swept in a playoff series, I would have thought you'd be great. Two years ago, LeBron James and Anthony Davis went into the bubble, and the Lakers took over the NBA, and they dumped into the bubble, and they won that bubble championship pretty convincingly. Three years ago, Kawhi Leonard got sent from San Antonio to Toronto, and he ended up winning a championship. Obviously, Golden State way back got Kevin Durant. The Cavs got Kevin Love and LeBron back, which was their two missing pieces. Like, we've seen NBA teams be aggressive. We saw Milwaukee last offseason go get Drew Holiday. He ended up being their missing piece. But increasingly, 
The NBA is becoming a deaf league. More than a star league. Not a deaf league. Not D-E-A-T-H. A deaf. D-E-A. Or D-E-P-T-H. Sorry, I can't spell, guys. I am a millennial who the computer. I cannot spell. D-E-P-T-H. Deaf. A couple years ago, these teams like Miami, Memphis, Boston, they would be blown off the floor by Philly if Philadelphia had Joel Embiid or a Brooklyn. You know, maybe Minnesota wouldn't even have made the playoffs. The team of, of Russell Westbrook and Davis and LeBron James would probably be a top seed in the NBA. That's not it. You have guys like Jason Tatum who are slowly rising into superstardom, but I don't think they're there yet. You have stars like Jimmy Butler. I don't think he's a superstar. But you surround him with such good players that it is depth and it is chemistry that is winning the series and it is youth. And I think part of it is you know, we've had guys like John Moran, Luka Doncic, Trey Young. These guys are coming into the league so young and making incredible impacts and carrying their team early. I mean, John Moran to me is a superstar right, right now in his third year in the league. He is one of the most fun people to watch in all of, of the NBA. And it's him, it's Dylan Brooks, it's Brandon Clark, it's Steven Adams, it's just a bunch of guys. And they're the number two seed and they're winning. And as of the recording today, they're tied 1-1 with the Warriors. Now, as you guys are listening to this on Sunday, we'll know who wins game three. But this series is close. This series is tight. And Golden State has dealt with a lot of injuries. And now they're starting to get people back. And I thought that the veteranmanship of Draymond Green, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, then you added Jordan Poole into the mix. I thought Golden State would be a hard out. But Memphis has given them everything that they can handle. And again, Brooklyn and Philly, these teams that are driven by star power, are being eliminated very quickly in the first or second round. Dallas, with which is Luka Doncic, is getting beat to death by a Phoenix team that is just so well-rounded with Jay Crowder and Chris Paul and DeAndre Ayton and Devin Booker and Bridges and Campaign. These guys can play. And then you got Boston with Derek White, you know, um, Robert Williams, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart. They're giving Giannis and company, again, don't have Chris Middleton, and that may be part of it. Who knows? They're giving Milwaukee everything they can handle, and they got a good chance to beat Milwaukee. Again, by the time you guys hear this podcast, you will know the result of game three. Right now, when I'm recording this, that series is tied 1-1. So these NBA playoffs, the ratings have gone up. I got to admit, as an NBA hater over the last couple of years, because it felt like that they really do cater to their stars, and I don't love the technical fouls that are being called. I think the NBA has gone way too soft, and I think if they fix that, the NBA will be in a great spot because you're seeing great stars like LeBron James almost if it wasn't for the Lakers disaster, which it sounds like Phil Jackson is going to be involved in the coaching church, which sounds like a disaster to me. If that wasn't the case, the Lakers and LeBron, they would be irrelevant because of all the young talent in the NBA. And I think the NBA, because of that, is in good hands. Again, as somebody who was negative towards the NBA, as somebody who thought Kawhi Leonard, Kevin Durant, 
LeBron James were still the cream of the crop of the NBA. Increasingly, a team like Milwaukee, they have Giannis Antetokounmpo. In my opinion, he is the best player in the NBA. He'll probably win another MVP award this season, though I think you guys can see now in the postseason the value award should go to Joel Embiid for what he's doing. James Arden is increasingly getting, getting older and slower. But again, Brooklyn or Philly thought with, with James Arden and Joel Embiid, they could win a championship. I thought they'd be a very hard out. And with Joel Embiid, Miami's pretty much wiping the floor with them. And even with the best player in the world, Giannis Antetokounmpo, uh, Boston is giving Milwaukee everything they can handle. And to me, it shows a changing of the guard in today's NBA. The last topic for today because we have to talk about the most endless backlash in history because it is WrestleMania backlash, which is occurring today on Peacock at 8 Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. The main event of the evening features the Broadline. The head of the table, Roman Reigns, the tribal chief teaming up with the Usos to take on the Raw Tag Team Champions, RK Pro and Drew McIntyre. Now the way this match came about was RK Pro and the Usos were set for a title for title unification match for Roman Reigns to uh-uh. We ain't gonna do that, son. And then Drew McIntyre came out a couple weeks ago on SmackDown to try to play more Roman Reigns. And now we got ourselves a six-man tag team match at WrestleMania 38. The most WrestleMania history. The Tribal Chief became the undisputed WWE Universal Champion. And I mentioned in my preview for that match, I thought Roman Reigns was going to win. And boy, did that match not live up to the hype. It was very quick. It was dull. It was a typical Roman Brock match. I thought it was going to be the best match those two have had. And I got to admit, for main event of WrestleMania, I thought it flopped. It looks like Roman Reigns pulled his shoulder out of the socket, which it looked like that was one of the reasons why the match got called early. But regardless, Roman Reigns is now without a doubt the king of the castle in WWE. But I think WWE sort of booked themselves into a corner here because in my opinion, and this was my problem with making it a title unification match of WrestleMania. Roman Reigns has not been on Raw every week. He has not been on SmackDown every week. And when you only have one champion, it makes it really hard to make both shows compelling. And now the question is, how do they get the title off Roman? I think it's one of the reasons why they backtracked on doing Arcade Pro versus the Usos, which I still believe, without a doubt, should have been the match. It would have made a event of the pay-per-view, title for title unification match. The way I would have booked that match, I would have had Randy Orton and Arcade Pro win the SmackDown Tag Team title. Because I would have said, instead of WWE doing what WWE always does, and putting the titles on, on every member of a stable, and making that stable dominant, I would have said Roman Reigns is the only one. He is the big boot. Roman Reigns is the only one that can hold both championships in his family. 
does the storyline, I would have gone with it. Regardless, I think this match is going to be a really, really fun match. And I could see Roman Reigns because it's non-title. Could anybody else see Reigns potentially taking the fall here tonight? Because I could. And I really believe it's a possibility that, you know, finally, after what was it, two, three years, maybe by disqualification, whatever the case may be, maybe Roman Reigns technically loses a match tonight at WrestleMania back. The next match on the docket is a WrestleMania rematch. It's like almost all of these matches are between Charlotte Flair and Ronda Rousey for the SmackDown Women's Championship in an with match. Now, we all know Charlotte Flair tapped out at WrestleMania. Referee Charles Robinson did not see him, but we all saw it. And now Ronda Rousey, who is the worst promo cutter in the history of promos, is looking to break Charlotte Flair's arm off. I'm here to see. I'm here to say, I think this is going to be a good match. I think this is in Ronda Rousey's wheelhouse. Kind of know this qualification where she can do her own thing and just beat the hell out of Charlotte because that's what she's made to do. And I don't see a way Ronda Rousey says the words, I quit. I think this does lead to a rematch down the road. Maybe a Money in the Bank in Vegas. Maybe it's SummerSlam. But I think for a little bit here, Ronda Rousey is going to become the SmackDown Women's Champion. On a show that doesn't have many title matches, and a matter of fact, yeah, outside of Ronda versus Charlotte, there is no title matches on this card. I think when you only have one title match, the I Quit match is the way to go. I don't see Ronda saying I quit. I think she will win the SmackDown Women's Championship. Now, Edge and AJ Styles, you heard the intro at the beginning of the show today. You think you know me? You never did. From the, uh, from the other side, by Ultra Bridge, Edge's new theme song, Edge's new Ultra Ego, and now, without his man Damian Priest by his side, the leader of Judgment Day, once again, go one-on-one -on -one with the phenomenal AJ Styles, those two had a very technical wrestling match at WrestleMania. I think we're going to get another banger here. I think some way, somehow, somebody interferes, whether it's Finn Bauer or somebody else, and Edge goes over Styles as they set up an L in a cell match between the two, where AJ Styles will eventually top Edge. Maybe Styles wins, and maybe we get one-to-one. -one. Who knows? I still think it's going to be a very good match. Up next, another WrestleMania rematch. Cody Rhodes, the American Nightmare, going up against the visionary Seth Rollins. Now, of course, Cody Rhodes was the uh, special opponent, handpicked by Mr. McMahon, once he got done preparing for his match against Pat McAfee at WrestleMania 38, in the most stupendous WrestleMania in history. Cody and Seth put on an actual banger of the hour match. Cody Rhodes picked up the win, and Cody Rhodes has been booked as a star since he's returned to the WWE. I don't know if he takes a quick L here to Seth Rollins. I don't know if WWE wants to derail his momentum yet. I think this is another great match, and the question here, will Seth Rollins be able to get revenge on Cody Rhodes? I think eventually Rollins could move on to Roman. I think Cody 
good move on the Roman. I actually think Cody is being well in position to go win the WWE Championship from the Tribal Chief himself and leave the Tribal Chief with only the Universal Championship. But again, just like Edge and Sauge, Leclerc and Rousey, I don't think these matches at this pay-per-view have a lot of stake. They, they were good WrestleMania matches. Let's run them back. Let's kind of up the ante a little bit. This is built as Rhodes versus Rollins 2. Cody Rhodes' second ever match against Seth Rollins. And I think it fits Seth Rollins' character for him to lose this match and try to get one more match with Cody Rhodes as he turns into the next Christmas. So Madcap Moss and Baron Corbin broke up at WrestleMania. Now they're fighting at WrestleMania Backlash. That is happening. And Almost is taking on Bobby Lashley. Bobby Lashley disposed of Almost quickly at WrestleMania, but now Almost as MVP by his side, and we'll see. I think Almost here does go over Lashley uh, in the WrestleMania Backlash ring. So that'll do it for WrestleMania Backlash. I don't think it's gonna be that long of a show. Again, only six matches. Right now on the arc, a lot of rematches. You got Edge and Sauce in a rematch. You got Flair and Rousey in a rematch. Cody and Rollins in a rematch. And Almost and Lashley in a rematch. I think the borderline McIntyre and RK Bro do main event the show. I think it's gonna be still a pay-per-view. Obviously, WWE is doing a lot more uh, stadium-built shows this season. I think it's good for business. I'm looking forward to Money in the Bank, Summer Slam, Clash of the Castle in the UK. Crown Jewel, Survivor Series in Boston, but I think, you know, for this pay-per-view, it's a little bit of a filler pay-per-view for WWE, but being honest, I don't even know if the pay-per-view is needed, but before we go on the WWE topic today, I do want to say one more time, I thought WrestleMania 38 was phenomenal, I thought it was indeed the most stupendous. WrestleMania in history from everything from Pat McAfee calling Wee Man against Sami Zayn and Johnny Knoxville. Pat McAfee wrestling Vince McMahon, the Raw Tag Team title match, the SmackDown Tag Team title match, uh, Becky, Becky and uh, Bianca Belair. Everything that happened, Edge and Sounds, Cody and Rollins, uh, you know, Reigns Lesnar. I thought WrestleMania, the Stone Cold Kevin Owens thing. I thought WrestleMania went back to its roots this year. I thought that a little bit of, of everything for everybody, I thought all the celebrities from Ad McAfee to Logan Paul to Johnny Knoxville, I thought they all hit it out of the park. So much happened on that show. I'm trying to remember exactly what I forgot happened. Just Stone Cold coming back both nights was incredible. Everything that happened at that mania was special. That WrestleMania 38 in Dallas we won for the ages, certainly a lot better than the one they had there six years ago, and I cannot wait for WrestleMania 39 in Hollywood next year. So if you enjoyed the show today, I, I generally do. You know, um, I, I know it was a lot today. We kind of pushed a lot of topics within this, this one-hour limit, but I thought it, it, it was a very good show. I know I'm a little bit rusty with all due respect. I haven't done this show in a month, but we will be back next week breaking down the NFL schedule release. We're going to be doing a full schedule prediction breakdown on the show next week. And, of course, we will review WrestleMania Backlash as well as what's going on in the NBA playoffs. So until next time, make sure to subscribe, like, comment on the YouTube channel. Make sure to follow us again on Twitter, everyone underscore B-Word. Follow me personally at Brandon Lewis underscore seven. If you also want to talk baseball or, or anything else, 
that's where to reach me, and we will see you guys next time. Peace.